This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Hello and welcome to the program. I'm Sean Drotar. Sandy Clough is on my left. Sandy, here we are. It is September 20th. Not even out of the first month of the NFL season. And the Denver Broncos have a make-or-break game coming up on Sunday. And we can give you all the stats you want about what 0-3 teams, uh, their odds on making the playoffs are. They are... Let's suffice it to say they're bad. Infinitesimally small. Very bad. And to get an idea of where the Broncos are, I'm going to give you my... And, And this isn't, by the way, a team that's enjoyed any success... In recent years, no. Uh, there are certain teams I can identify them. Most of our listeners, probably most all of our listeners, you certainly could identify them. If they were somehow zero and three, the Kansas City Chiefs could still make the playoffs. Uh, I even think at zero and two, the Cincinnati Bengals could still recover because they were zero and two last year and made the playoffs. I think so. Yeah, uh, it, it, team in the Super Bowl. Last year, uh, Philadelphia from the NFC. They aren't, but if they were 0-3, maybe against Dallas in the NFC East, they'd be in trouble. But in terms of making the playoffs, I'd still give them a puncher's chance, maybe a little better than a puncher's chance. There's certain teams that could defy convention at 0-2 or even 0-3. But even good teams at 0-3, Recover. <laughs> well, it, it, it just I mean, becomes it, too it, long. You, you, yeah, you, the, the, you talk about one or two teams. Uh, you, you talk about a stat we mentioned yesterday. Since 1966, uh, 52 teams, uh, the Broncos being the 52nd, have opened 0-2 with two home losses. Two of those previous 51 made the playoffs. Two of the previous 51. You can't start a season 0-2, whether it's on the road, whether it's one on the road, one at home, or especially if it's two games at home, and make the plans. It just it doesn't happen. And I went back last night, and I, I looked, because we haven't explored this in detail. But I assume that the Broncos had opened – over their 64-year history now. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know. Half a dozen times the two straight home games. You know what the number is? It's 16. It's once every four years on average, the Broncos do get the favorable scheduling break of opening with two games at home. Wow. And that includes the AFL days. In the AFL, where the Broncos didn't even win 30% of their games in the 10-year history of the American Football League. They never and they had several seasons in which they opened twice with home games before they played on the road. Never once did they go zero and two. In the AFL, they never went 0 and 2 with two games to start at home. The only time they went through the first two games at home without getting a win was 1974, and it was 0-1-1 because they tied the Pittsburgh Steelers in what I believe was the first ever overtime regular season game in the history of the National Football League. They put overtime into effect in 1974. 
the Broncos and Steelers, the beginnings of Orange Crush, the Steel Curtain, the eventual 1974 World Champion Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Broncos. Played to a 35-35 tie with Joe Gillum at quarterback for Pittsburgh and Charlie Johnson at quarterback for the Denver Broncos that day. 35-35, those two defensive juggernauts, one in the making and one already well-established, gave up 70 combined points. It was a tremendous game. I remember watching it in the days of my youth. I was, I think, 17 years old at the time, and I remember watching that game, and it was 35-35. Gillum was great. Charlie Johnson was just as good. And otherwise, out of the 16 times the Broncos have opened with two home games, 2-0 nine times, 1-1 five times, 0-1-1 once, and 0-2 once, and that's now. That's this year. The Broncos have been winning since late November of 2016, less than 35% of the time. In the AFL, they were just under 30%. These are the American Football League Denver Broncos. And even the AFL Denver Broncos never opened with two games at home and lost both games. Especially when they were more than a field goal favorite in both of those games. And, And here's even more of the problem, because, of course, we know that the AFC West is the division of the Kansas City Chiefs. And until anybody takes it from them, it's theirs. The Broncos have already lost to the Raiders, and they've lost to the Raiders at home. The Broncos are definitely not the Chiefs. Now they're 0-2, and so are the Chargers. Here's the problem. The Chargers are, you talked about the Broncos never starting 0-2, your first two games at home. With the first two games at home. The Chargers have scored over the course of the season. Yeah. Which is short. I get that. The Chargers have scored 58 points. Right. The Chargers have lost by two and lost by three. And the Chargers have no giveaways on offense. Right. No turnovers. Zero. So no turnovers. More than 50 points in the first two games of the season. Right. Do you know how many teams in the history of the NFL have ever gone 0 2 with those two? With with no turnovers. And 50 or, 50 or more points and scored. And 50 or more points scored. Zero. That's correct. It's never happened. Never happened. This is the first no. time that's happened. Well, what does that tell that's you? How bad the it tells you that is. the Chargers defense, two, one thing, the Chargers defense is bad. Yeah. Two, the Chargers themselves, however, no one's ever actually been that efficient on offense and started 0 2. Right. Ever. Right. Never. Never. Well, it really tells you two things, and they're interconnected. It tells you their defense is bad, and it tells you that defensive-minded head coach Brandon Staley is in big trouble, having nothing to do with going for it on fourth down. It's that they can't stop anybody. But they can't stop anybody, and they're actually doing very, very well going for it on fourth down in the first two games. Their percentage have been very high. Only, That's not why they're losing. Only That's the Dolphins who beat them. Have more points scored in the AFC. That's right. They have That's the right. second highest there's points nothing, in the AFC. There's nothing wrong with Justin Herbert. Uh, it hurt him a little bit that Eckler couldn't play the other day. They but they still right. scored 24 off Tennessee. That's 63 and Tennessee's points. Tennessee's not bad defense. Is a touchdown worse than anybody else in the AFC, and that's the Texans. That defense <laughs> is bad. It is. It's a bad defense, and it's the Vic Fangio defense as coached by Brandon Staley. 
now the, the Vic Fangio yeah, defense, defense coached by Vic Fangio seems to be going a little better. Well, the Broncos will face that on Sunday. Yeah, although they have given up thirty four to uh, the Chargers, right. so he didn't have many They've answers until the very points. end of the game. And they played more of a slugfest uh, the other night. That's an intra-divisional game, and they're they're always tougher because nobody's scared of anybody. If you see a team twice a year, even with, with maybe the exception of the Broncos in Kansas City, okay, where, where it's been 15 times in a row that Kansas City has won, most intra-divisional affairs are bloodbaths. They really are. Now, there might be some variation. Occasionally, there's a high-scoring game. But they tend to be lower-scoring games because the teams see they're each other much twice more familiar a year, with each other. And they're, they're familiar. Right. And it, it's not college, know, not the road They tend to be rougher. There are certainly they, there's some personal turnover, but yeah. stakes involved. A lot of the players hold over from right. year to year. Right. right. So uh, I, I, I can understand why Miami's second game wasn't nearly as exciting as the first one. But I thought the first game they played this year uh, was the most exciting game of week one, the 36-34 game that they took from the Chargers at SoFi. Um, they played in Foxborough the other night, and the Patriots have a good defense. Uh, the, the Chargers don't have a good defense. The Patriots do. So it's a different type of game. Patriots and it showed that Miami, Miami is a tough team. Yeah, Not, not just... Uh, Scott Backs and Speedsters and all finesse. No, uh, Miami's a tough team, and uh, I I said this to you yesterday as uh, we were walking to our cars after the show. I like Colorado's chances in Eugene more than I like the Broncos' chances in Miami on Sunday. Yikes! Well, I tend to agree, but here's here's why the start for the Broncos has been so bad, Sandy. Because one, they shouldn't be. Two and up. they shouldn't be able to. They should probably be two and zero oh, realistically. Right. And we talked about what needed to happen for the Broncos to make a run of the playoffs. A lot of that was they needed teams that were ahead of them last year to fall, to drop. Well, yeah. the funny thing is, in the first two weeks of the season, that's happened. There are only two unbeaten teams in the AFC. Two. One of them is the Dolphins. The other is the Ravens. The Chargers are 0-2. The Bengals are 0-2. The Patriots, which was one of the teams that they needed to drop, are also 0-2. Playing playing Philadelphia and Miami. I understand that. Two top five teams. But we're talking about pure W's and L's. And if the Broncos had done their job and held serve at home, their playoff odds would be vastly different right now. The things that needed to happen in the early going of the season for the Broncos have happened. We we mentioned. The breaks they couldn't control have gone their way, but the things they could control, they failed to take take control of. We mentioned earlier this week that uh, following the CUCSU game the other night, uh, Gary Barnett, uh, the analyst on the Colorado radio network, Learfield, I think Gary is the most honest, analyst that I know of doing anything, certainly on radio, anything resembling commentary for college teams, pro teams, and so on, because he's so honest. And he said two things after the game. He said, one, CSU deserved to win this game. And two, I really don't know if Colorado is good or how good Colorado is. I really don't know. It's been three games. I still don't know. Right. We know the Broncos are a bad team. 
because even if they were a little below average, they'd have won one and possibly even both of these home games. They were favored in both by more than the standard three-point mm-hmm. home field advantage. Right. They were favored by three and a half in both games. In one game, they had a 16-10 to 10 lead well into the fourth quarter. And, you know, right around 80% chance of winning the game. The other day, they were up 21-3 to 3 and had almost a 96% chance to win the game in the middle of the second quarter. 96%. And they lose by two. Right. It should have been eight. And, you know, we talk to people, and we hear that Washington expected to win the game by at least the amount by which they were leading before the Hail Mary. Teams around the league know how bad the Broncos are. Now, the reasons that yes, they may that's where I want to go. put that's forward where I as go. to why the Broncos are bad, that may differ. Yeah. That may differ. That's what I Some say about. Russell Wilson's totally washed up. He's not. They'd be better off with Jared Stitton. No. Uh, although they wouldn't be... One and one necessarily, and certainly not two and zero with Jared Stidham at quarterback. But if he made a difference of three or four points, some could see that. Some don't believe that at all, and think the Bronco defense is is not only overrated; it's not very good. It's not enough anymore to say that the Broncos are overrated on defense. The Broncos are bad on defense, no matter what Alex Singleton has to say about it. Uh, the headline in the post uh, this morning happened to resemble what was actually in the text of the piece written by Parker Gabriel of the Denver Post. Defense is, as Singleton put it, still coming together. Well, well that's good. At least it's not. At least they don't believe they're done. At least they don't believe they're a finished product. Why not say, uh, my kingdom for an honest person. In the Denver Bronco organization, will come well, out. I don't and think saying say, it's coming together is a problem. I do. What I do you expect him to say? We stink. Yes, wow. I expect him to say, well, "Our standard, our standard for defensive play here. My standard for defensive play." The Broncos happen to think that Alex Singleton has peaked out. They only played him sixty-four percent of the snaps the other day. They they've soured on him. They're still. Uh, real keen for some reason on Josie Jewell, who played almost 90% of the snaps the other day. What you say if you're a leader, and he seems to be, in spite of his decreasing playing time, a sort of spokesman for the defense now, why that isn't Simmons or Sertan, I have no idea. But Alex Singleton's the guy who gets quoted all the time. Here's what you say. You say, we've been bad defensively in the last uh, two games to start this season. Home games. No way we should have lost both. It's more on us than it's on the offense. Although media people around town seem to be in need of convincing on that point. They, oh. they're, they're focused on no. the offense. And even our commentary yesterday focused on Sean Payton, not in relation to the defense so much as in relation to the right. offense. So we're, we're partially guilty, I suppose, in that regard as well. But it's still coming together. You just blew an 18-point lead. Under a coach who's seventy-two and zero with eighteen-point leads, well, and was. is now seventy-two and one. 
and you blew it against a team that was this far from quitting. I thought they had quit already, actually, and one score would have completely put them away, no matter how confident they were coming into the game. What what you say is our defense hasn't even come close to meeting our standard. And, you know, Singleton's been here long enough to know how much this defense has gotten off the hook because of how bad the special teams and the offense have been. He knows that. And he needed to say as a leader, we've been more responsible for these two losses than the offense or the special teams. Whether that's true or not, if you're a leader and you're the leader of a quote-unquote proud defense that in some statistical areas, particularly in the red zone, has been pretty good in recent years and you've been terrible in the red zone this year. Seven trips by opponents to the red zone, they've given up five touchdowns. That's one of the worst figures in the league. Small sample size, I get it, but we, we've we watched the games. We know how bad they are in the red zone. They have no pass rush, and they can't cover anybody. And even when they cheap shot somebody, the guy still catches the ball for a touchdown. And it costs the Broncos the game, arguably, because even though they score the touchdown, they still get the penalty yardage on the conversion so the ball moves from the three to the one and a half. They go for two. And I'm not saying maybe the Hail Mary doesn't happen if it's closer than eight points. Who knows? Who knows? But that two-point conversion, instead of 21 to 10, it's 21 to 11. That's huge in a game that was decided by two points. That's huge. So you, you have people like Kareem Jackson and, yes, Alex Singleton, being out of position. That's why he's not playing. He's been out of position too often. I happen to think Jules has been out of position a lot too, but they seem awful sweet on Josie Jewell for reasons well, that entirely escape me. Some of this reasons and it's very clear. One of the guys give, they drafted Drew Sanders right. can't get on And the I'll field. give you that. I'll tell you why. Obviously, this coaching staff doesn't want to play rookies. Because they went and drafted the guys. This remember this this draft. I get it. George Payton is still by by name. George Payton is still the GM. But this is, no, a, this draft. is Sean that was a Sean Payton draft. draft. And Vance Joseph's draft. Marvin Mims goes and catches a two two passes over 100 yards and a touchdown. Doesn't play in the second half. Jaleel McLaughlin scores a touchdown. Never plays in the second half. Drew Sanders isn't playing. These are guys they picked. So very simply, until proven otherwise, this coaching staff doesn't want to put rookies on the field for whatever reason, but they don't. Because the only thing that, com- that that's across the board, the common denominator, is these three guys are rookies. And so I guess they don't trust them to make the right plays at the right time. Okay. The funny the thing guys was, they trust are owing to. And part of right. a, one of the worst defenses in the National Football League. Two of the guys they the don't trust time. scored two of your touchdowns on Sunday. The idea, by the way, that, I think rather obviously forwarded by Sean Payton, that Russell Wilson is the reason the Broncos have lost and lost. Uh, well, if not the reason big because reason, of his fumble, but reason. at bare minimum. He, he gave three different. Right, as to why it was Wilson. Critiques of Russell Wilson. Well, if it may please the fumble, court. Uh, fumble was one. Right. Uh, two was uh, being the cause of three timeouts being used uh-huh. in the first half. Right. When Wilson was almost perfect. And then. At the end of the game, he missed Jer- Jerry Judy, according to Sean Payton, who's wide open in the end zone on the two-point conversion, and threw instead to Cortland Sutton. And 
Peyton didn't say after the game, didn't blame the refs blamed for not calling pass interference, didn't blame the officials, blamed his quarterback for not seeing an open receiver, who, by the way, had three catches for 25 yards in the first half and zero catches for zero yards in the second, just like Mims had two for 113 and a touchdown in the first half and zero for zero in the second because he couldn't get on the field. And the defense, by the way, gave up 35. I didn't see Wilson on the field at any of those plays either. Interesting. So if it might please the court, I will present a defense of one Russell Wilson, and I'll do that next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. During the break, if you were watching it, you may have seen Sandy and I are looking over a computer screen. You can watch us, by the way, over at MileHighSports.com or on the free Miley Sports app. We're going over the two-point conversion of which uh, Sean Payton said flat out Russell Wilson missed a wide open Jerry Judy, and that's the reason they didn't go to overtime. And we watched that, and look, I, I get it, but we've watched it bunch of times in the break and i've watched it before looking over that they got good tackle protection from bowls and mcglinchy good protection uh, a rare occasion as, when mcglinchy both blocked his McGlinchey man got although it wasn't sweat, pain, it was good. he was blocking now deron Payne miners got beat by went right Payne through quinn bit. miners yeah and uh and pain is coming but uh but wilson has has decent protection on yeah the play. he does he has decent protection on the play he kind of does a quick glance over to the, mm. the left but he spends most of the time looking to the right yes. those are fair criticisms now to also be fair by the time wilson throws he's already on his back foot because Payne has gone right around minors quinn minors and is about and i'm looking at it right now about one yard or as drawn Payne's footsteps would be about a step away from Russell Wilson. So Wilson's already even throwing off his back foot yeah. because Payne has come with a full head of steam. At that time, Jerry Judy is winding his way through contact and then through from one of the, the, the commander's defenders and then through three other ones. Now, Judy eventually does get through those guys and break into the open but by then, Wilson's already released the ball. I think it's part of the story of Jerry Judy's life, too. When people talk about he runs patterns well and he gets open. In the NFL, it's about getting open when you're supposed well, to be open frankly, and everything's based on timing. I think the commanders and, had pretty good defense and, for this and play. I was coverage just was say very that. good. I, I think the coverage was excellent. They didn't blow any coverage as CSU did on a couple of two-point conversions, right, on Saturday night. Uh, and maybe it was fatigue, but uh, there were very easy two-point conversions that CU made in that game. Washington, from what we could see, and we this is kind of we're the all-22. Yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, we're looking uh, at all So of we're looking at every, all 22 players, and it's hard to see any mistakes that Washington made. Now, the Bronco tackles, as it happened on that particular play, did a pretty good job sure. against the outside Pass rushers, the edge rushers of the Washington and, and, Commanders, yeah. uh, was Miners, solid. who had, had otherwise was their pain. best blocker yeah. all the game, but it he had trouble with pain. But went uh, you know, Wilson had an alley, and he, I, I thought he forced the pass to Sutton, 
But again, looking across the other side of the field, but Judy's not, not actually open yet. Yeah, Judy's not open yet by the time that Wilson releases it. And as I said, he's already but, on his but back there's foot because no, no, Payne no, has a head of steam offense. and there's one step away. I guess There's no anticipation. Right. There's no uh, throwing to a spot and knowing that the receiver will be there even if he isn't there as you're throwing And the ball. argument, I guess, in this case would be, right, because as we're looking at it, and I still have this looking at the frozen screen, right, right as I'm talking to you, that Wilson is, when Wilson has released the ball, Judy is still fighting his way through three Washington true. defenders. That is true. So if the idea is that Wilson and, and Emmanuel Acho, who's great at breaking down games, actually said that, you know, Wilson missed Jerry Judy as well, and yeah. his argument is, based off pre-snap, Russ could have known Judy would have the most space. Yes, Yes. Okay, and that would be my point too. That yes. you have to anticipate, but there's no right. And let me let me finish let anticipation finish. in this offense, and that was one of the things yeah. that Sean Payton was supposed to bring with right. him from New Orleans, and that Hackett was criticized for. Well, yeah, people get open, but they're open right. at the wrong time. Let me finish this and point, no Sandy, because it does actually support what you're saying. The idea here, and I think Ocho breaks it down fair enough, that that Russell Wilson had he had time could have anticipated. The, the defense and realized Judy would be at a particular spot at a particular time. And that, I suppose, is the criticism that both Acho and Sean Payton have. Because in real time, the truth of the matter is Judy is nowhere near open by the time, in fact, he might be the most covered Bronco receiver at the time Wilson releases the ball. So the idea is read the defense, throw to a spot, expect your receiver to be there. But here's the problem. As you pointed out, has Jerry Judy earned the trust of the Broncos or Russell Wilson to know that Wilson at this point, with their, even though they got together pretty well by the end of the tail end of last year, for Wilson to know he's not there yet, but I will throw to this spot and trust that Jerry Judy will get there. I would contend, and I've been as, as big a defender, even though there has been flaws of Jerry Judy since he's gone to this team, I would say that if I am Russell Wilson at this point in time, I do not have enough faith in Jerry Judy to fight the, to know I'm going to release the ball, knowing that as I look over there, he's in the middle of three defenders, but I trust that he will break through all of that and be exactly where I expected to be. If I'm Russell Wilson, I don't totally believe in that either. When I watch the Dallas Cowboys, I see a rapport between Dak Prescott and CeeDee Lamb that I can't imagine any Bronco quarterback having had with Jerry Judy at this point through three full seasons and the first game that Judy's been healthy enough to play in 2023. Right. Uh, he hasn't, though it does seem odd to me that Cortland Sutton has earned the trust of Russell Wilson, even though there is no apparent rapport between the two. Uh, Wilson doesn't help Sutton, and Sutton doesn't help Wilson. Um, I, I I think certainly in the last half dozen games last year, there was evidence that Judy was helping Wilson uh, a little bit, and maybe even Wilson was helping uh, Wilson was helping Judy, but Judy was really helping Wilson, <laughs> who was having a dreadful year and was a little bit better, a little bit better down the stretch, and Judy was as good as any receiver in the league the last six games. Of course, the rejoinder to that is those were essentially exhibition games for the Denver Broncos. They were out of the playoff race by that point in the season. But let me but look at, let's go back to this, right? And you can see what you will about Cortland Sutton. And I, I think, look, you, you and I agree, you're never going to get the pass interference call. Never. Now, 
I think and we, he, he, he I think was we covered. also agree. There might have also been interference. I think but we also agree covered. there probably was interference, but you're not going to expect yeah. it on that play. No. Now, the, the argument that I think, if you're going to look at Wilson's argument to say uh, Cortland Sutton might have been able to catch it, was he not interfered with? So maybe he wasn't. The coverage was good, but not impossible. I guess I just look at it and say, if you want to say that Wilson should have anticipated that Judy would come open, okay. You can make that argument, I guess. I think there's arguments against. I just look at that play, and I say, look, I can't lay all of the blame on that on Russell Wilson fairly. This is indicative, and I think you've broken it down. We've kind of assembled the same thing, of a Broncos offense that simply put does not hit on all cylinders all the time, and therefore it's very difficult. They aren't synchronized. Right, to start making plays based on synchronicity when they're not synchronized. And so could Wilson have been better on that play? Sure. Could Judy have come open sooner? Also, yes. Could Sutton maybe not have been interfered with? Also, yes. <laughs> Could maybe Miners have been able to held up through blocking a little bit better and not given Wilson pressure directly up the middle where it's the worst? Also, yes. All of these things contributed. Wilson's part of it. But to look at this and say, well, here's the problem. Wilson blew that play. No, you know what? A lot of guys didn't do well on that play. And to put it all on Wilson, I think, obscures the reality that there are so many issues on this offense, specifically with consistency and synchronicity, as you put it, that it's particularly unfair to place it and just say, oh, yep, yep, that's that's Russell Wilson again. I don't I just don't think that's fair at all. And the the numbers to a certain extent, and I guess I get it small. And we've talked about how Wilson's consistency even in a game is not good. But let's look at the overall numbers. Last year. Through two games. Wilson had two touchdowns, one interception, a 67.7 adjusted completion percentage, and a passer rating of 86.5. This year, the interceptions are the same one. The touchdowns are up to five from two. The adjusted completion percentage is up to 80.7%. And the passer rating is up to 108.5%. I get it. If you want to take it play by play, you can nitpick. Well, that's, that's the passer rating, though. So right. It's, it, the passer it's not rating. a percentage. It, Correct. It's not a percent. But it. But 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 I. I but one hundred eight point five is quite a bit up from eighty six point five. But the, com, the adjusted yeah, completion I, percentage again, at eighty point seven is up from sixty seven. With Russell Wilson, though, you have to say in the in the first half of both games, sure, he's been arguably the best quarterback in the league, and in the second half of games. He's been one of the five worst. And th- this is the thing mm-hmm. that drives people crazy and maybe even Peyton, although my sense is that Peyton is somewhat complicit in this. I would say more than uh, somewhat, in my opinion. And, and so, you know, I, I don't understand. The guys that scored how, two how touchdowns weren't on the field in the second I, half. I, I don't understand how you can throw eight times in the first half and 24 in the second when you were leading – for most of the second half, and you, and you were well, and at least saying it's three good play calling. And I, I, who's calling the plays? I, I don't understand it. I don't understand how you can throw for in the first game of the year after averaging about ten yards per attempt in the first half. You throw fifteen passes in the second half for fifty-two yards. That does not compute. And the other day, it's. Eight passes for 154 yards in the first half and 24 passes for 154 yards in the second. Something does not compute or several somethings. And I think that's the reasonable conclusion yes. to come to out of all this, that there there is culpability to go around 
and it can be evenly spread. And uh, the person pointing the fingers, and it's interesting, um, I, I, you were asking me what Alex Singleton should have said a little bit earlier. Well, uh, Sean Payton said it for me. He said the defense is poor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that wasn't at all what Alex Singleton said. And I'm sensing, certainly after the game on Sunday, that overall, and certainly in the second half, Sean Payton viewed Russell Wilson as a major, if not the only reason the Broncos lost the game. And my argument is that's and, ridiculous. And, okay, um, I I would tend to agree, and Sean Payton will never think that Sean Payton is the problem. We, we, we found that out you and I are, after we, two well, games. We knew that before. If, if there are problems here, Sean Payton will never say that Sean Payton is part of the problem. He's a victim, and he is a, he is a professional victim um, who had the good fortune. It is looking more and more. Very good coach. It, it, stiffs don't win Super Bowls. But I'll tell you what. There are two or three, not many, but two or three coaches who have won Super Bowls who have otherwise had, how shall I put it, undistinguished coaching careers. Sean Payton has won one. Now, he's had other accomplishments. He's got an excellent winning percentage. But for every year but one in New Orleans, he was coaching Drew Brees. Mm -hmm. He will never coach Drew Brees in Denver. So if things don't go well, Mike Shanahan got the same thing, and I think it's probably to an extent unfair to say, well, Peyton without Breeze is just another coach, especially this early. But I also thought it was unfair to say that Mike Shanahan never won anything without John Elway. Mike Shanahan's Denver Broncos were seventh in the NFL in wins in the decade that followed John Elway's retirement. Mm -hmm. That's not bad. And, Yes, they won one playoff game, but as Mike has said before, it was a hell of a win. They became the first team the Broncos did in 2005 ever to beat Tom Brady and Bill Belichick in a playoff game. No small feat. And they had beaten them badly during the regular season. They beat them badly in the playoffs. And no one thought that anybody at that point could beat the New England Patriots. They won three Super Bowls in four years. The year they didn't win the Super Bowl, they didn't make the playoffs. They went 9-7. and seven. They had an off year. The year after they won their first Super Bowl, there was a regression to the mean. But then they built back up, and they were a super team in 03 and 04. And the Broncos beat them in 05, and that opened things up and made Indianapolis believe, after having failed multiple times against the Patriots, that they could beat them. And it gave the New York Giants, even with the Patriots 18-0 and 0 in 2007, it gave the New York Giants a belief that in a big game the Patriots could be had. Well, when you're looking at making your football bets, why bet with the big boys this football season? I mean, everyone does that. You're just a number. Instead, try your hand with the local book. That's Superbook Sports. and Try them this fall. Superbook Sports is the book next door. Just a dedicated team of the best odds makers in Las Vegas, making sure that you get the best prices and parlays anywhere. And now Superbook 
We'll give you a bonus of up to $250 when you sign up and wager on the same day using the promo code MILEHIGH. So bet with the best and use promo code MILEHIGH this football season with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. There are a couple things that Sean Payton could stand to do better. It's more than just getting the calls in faster. That's part of it, but it's the calls that are being made. And when Sean Payton's been aggressive, like in the first halves of games, things have gone better. There's some numbers that bear that out as well. I'll share them with you next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Sandy, we've talked about the idea that Russell Wilson in the first half and second half have been Jekyll and Hyde this year, and that's certainly true, even though his overall numbers, as I illustrated, are quite a bit improved from where they were at this stage last year. He also looks as if he's trying to accomplish things in the offense. There doesn't seem to be any appearance that he's doing his own thing or anything like that. But we talked a little bit about the idea that while Sean Payton can blame Russell Wilson in three different ways for the loss, we kind of went over that two-point conversion. Okay, you can put some blame on Russell Wilson. I don't think putting all the blame on Russell Wilson for that play is fair. I think there's a more than a little bit of blame to go around. Uh, the, the fumble, I think you you rightly... You rightly batted that down earlier this week with, with, to with one line. You were up three scores. Yeah. Like you mean yeah. you mean the momentum was changed for the whole game when you were up now, three scores? Now, if if that's you, a little if you fumble at your one yard line and they only have to go one yard to score, but it was the middle of the field. Right. Fumbled. Now and again up now, eighteen points. But you know, could he have held on to the ball? Sure. Yes. Could he have gone after it more aggressively? Perhaps. Maybe. Uh but it's still a fumble in the middle of the field. And there's, it's the same argument that people used about the onside kick, which actually we think through the first two games is one of the smarter things I it was a good idea. that Peyton did. That's us, and we're clearly in the minority yeah, on that. We are. But the idea was, well, you can't do that. You gave the Raiders the ball at the Bronco 44. And I said, well, where is the zoning ordinance disallows the defense from at least holding the Raiders to a field three. goal. Right. Right? Why, why Why? is it assumed that if you give them the ball at the beginning of the game at the Bronco 44, remember Jimmy Garoppolo didn't play a ton during the that preseason. That was the first drive of the season, wasn't it? Yes. So the first drive of the season, so, the first so opportunity why, for this why top 10 defense. have to go 44 yards to the end zone and score a touchdown? Why can't you hold them to a field goal? Why can't you stop them and at least make them a 50-yarder, let's say? Mm -hmm. Stop them uh, at the 35 or the 36, make them attempt the 53, 54. Keep out of the end zone. Well, okay. But but I'm saying they have a great kicker, and he probably Mm -hmm. would have made a 53 or 54-yarder. I'm guessing they would have tried it, and he would have made it. Carlson's one of the best in the league. But the, the idea that it was just, well, of course they scored. Of course. Apart from that touchdown into the middle of the fourth quarter, 
They had scored three points. This was supposed to be a top 10 defense, right? I mean, wasn't it? That's what I had understood. This was a, this was supposed to be a top so, 10 so defense. I, I, I don't know why you let the defense off the hook. And when Washington recovers that fumble, Washington hadn't done a thing on offense up until that point in the game. They could barely get out of their own way. And it's just, well, of course they scored a touchdown. And I'm like, of course. <laughs> really? Yeah, why is That's that a given? Of course. That's a given. It, apparently in Sean Payton's mind, too. Um, I'm looking at the uh, sequencing here, and you know it. It just based on what they had done already in the game. That, that there is nothing automatic about their going all the way to the end zone and scoring a touchdown, Shouldn't and be. then through the stupidity of Kareem Jackson and his personal foul penalty, getting a chance to try for a two-point conversion from the one-and-a-half-yard line and converting it, and all of a sudden they go from being down 18 to down 10. And then they kick a field goal, and all of a sudden it's a football game at the half when it looked like uh, the game was going to be uh, over uh, at that point. But you've got to take certain things into account and Peyton is right about one thing in my opinion the defense has been poor and the defense is being let off the hook because we're also used to fixating on the offense and even on the special teams and letting the defense off the hook even last year when the defense was frankly terrible for the last five or six weeks of the season we let them off the hook because well they're exhausted from having to prop up this terrible offense all year and they're exhausted and they got injuries by the end of the year. They were overplayed uh, and okay, but that can't be the argument this year uh, in the first game. Well, you say, well, they only gave up 17 points. Well, yeah, but beyond the 17 points they gave up, they allowed the Raiders to possess the ball for the last five minutes, eight seconds of the game. Offense punts with more than five minutes to go in a game, in a, in a one-point game in this case, or one-score game, don't you expect to get the ball back? Yeah. They never did. Right. And that is a familiar story with this defense, even during years where, in some areas statistically, they've looked, in my opinion, better than they actually are. The... Look, there's there's plenty of, of problems to go around. The offense is not an, an efficient. The offense is not blameless. juggernaut. Let's not get no, no, crazy. It's, and yeah, it's not blameless. But but right now the truth is the strength of this team was supposed to be its defense. The strength of this team, and it wasn't even close. Right, the offense was going to be a work in progress. They'd score more, but this was already a top ten caliber defense. We warned you it wasn't going to be, because this team with the players on it have not demonstrably shown. What what does Sean Payton say confidence is? Demonstrated ability? Yeah. They have they, not demonstrated. They had not demonstrated the ability to consistency put consistently put pressure on the passer or get sacks. And I get it. I've I've tell you every time. I want pressures more than I want sacks. Sacks are great, sacks cause punts. Pressures cause turnovers. 
So I don't need the sack yeah. numbers, but I do need the pressure rates. And well, the Broncos have been they, terrible they, they, at they, it. They've been and terrible. given the players that they have on their roster, that should have been the expectation. Okay. The Broncos have done the same thing we've seen over at 20th and Blake. They think that three or four players will all blossom to a level of performance in which they have never reached simultaneously and surprised when that doesn't happen. That's what's happening again, Sandy. The assumption that Washington would score. First possession of the game, nine plays, 45 yards, four minutes, 41 seconds, missed the field goal. Next possession, 11 plays, 50 yards, five minutes, 50 seconds, make a field goal. So, yeah, they only get three points out of the first two possessions, but they have the ball for almost 10 minutes on those two possessions. And they had opportunities to score on both. But then three plays, minus one, a minute 10, punt. Three plays, one yard, a minute four seconds, punt. So their four previous possessions before the Russell Wilson penalty Missed field goal, fairly mm-hmm. long one. Field goal, punt, punt. And the last two possessions, they didn't have the ball for more than a combined two minutes and 14 seconds on those two possessions. But when he fumbles right around midfield, they go 49 yards in nine plays in four minutes, 44 at 47 seconds, touchdown. They come back before the end of the half, eight plays, 46 yards in a minute, 20, field goal. Then they start the third quarter, five plays, 51 yards, two minutes, one second, touchdown. Field goal missed on the next possession, five plays, three yards, 253. Then six plays, 75 yards, 346, touchdown. Eight plays, 64 yards, 511, touchdown. And, you know, it, it, <laughs> they're... Final possession when they're trying to just run the ball and kill the clock. Mm-hmm. Three plays, one yard, a minute, two, and a punt. But they went after going missed field goal, field goal, punt, punt. Touchdown, field goal. Touchdown, missed field goal. Touchdown, touchdown. That's great defense. Really? That's great defense. You've stopped them on two previous possessions in the first half. Three and out. One in a minute, 10. One in a minute, four. They gain zero net yards on the two possessions combined. But then they get the ball at the 49, and people act like, oh, of course, the, the offense is at fault for fumbling the ball away, or Wilson for fumbling the ball away. Well, of course, they're going to go 49 yards to the end. And I get it. It's the NFL. What? And you're never supposed to fumble, but we also know fumbles happen. The, the tackle that was made, the, the forearm went right into Russell Wilson's face mask. Happened to, not a face mask penalty, but it went, went, into, went right into the, yeah. literally the gap of in between the top of his helmet and the face mask. And then brushed down, and the hand chopped right on the ball. Yeah, uh, I, I, I am not saying fumbles are good, but I am saying they happen. And, yeah, I would, and, and you can also say, and I would argue, it's true, let me, let me finish there's up a here. randomness to Right, there is. And I would argue that that particular tackle, in which Wilson was not trying to be a hero and, and take an extra yards, he was trying to get out of bounds. The defender beat him there. Cortland Sutton would have made would have fumbled if the in the same position with that ball comes the the hand and ball all synchronized in the same way. Terry Judy would have, Adam Trabham would have, Javante Williams would have. 
Sometimes the defender gets his hand on the ball and punches it out. Wilson had the ball on the on the outside of his body where it's supposed to be. Sometimes they happen. As Sandy pointed out, it's randomness. If that randomness and a good play on the defense is, oh, that's what ruined the momentum for our three-score lead, then maybe your team isn't as resilient as you as a coach think it should be. And the person you should be looking at is, well, the coach who's not making his team very resilient. The team doesn't understand how to handle any adversity. This is a really challenging spot for Sean Payton, and now he's facing a team that might be the best team in the AFC, might even be the best team in football as it stands today. They certainly have the best passer in football as it stands today and the best receiver in football as it stands today. We'll talk about it with the Denver Gazette's Chris Thomason next on Miley Sports. I hate- 